Hello, Listen Steven listeners, and welcome, as always, to the content warning. This show in general is explicit, and this episode in particular contains discussion of graphic violence, abusive relationships, and sexual assault. As always, if any of these are triggering for you, we recommend giving this episode a miss. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy the show. And welcome to Listen, Stephen, Stephen, Listen, a Stephen King book review podcast. I'm Margo. And I'm Lily. And this week, it's the long walk. It's a long Woo. one. Well, Crockman. They sure walked, didn't they? They did that. <laughs> For a long time. A long time. A long time. <sighs> like a lot Sigh. of time. I think three, 72 hours? Or is it more? I mean, they made it all the way into Massachusetts. They did. A record-breaking distance. Yeah. Like, which I appreciate that the characters at some point were like, literally, who cares? <laughs> Whomst cares? What is the point? Whatever. I loved... I don't know. I loved how many people were just like... Wait a minute, this doesn't matter. Yeah, dude. You know what's great? Fucking, you got it. Nothing matters. Is that fucking die. At some point in this, I feel that every single person was asked the question, oh, so you signed up for the long walk, so why do you want to die? <laughs> it was very, like... Yeah, it was. it was very much not even... Oh, so what do you want, the, what will you ask for for the prize, which is whatever you want for the rest of your life. Yeah. On top of boatloads of cash, which is a question that they address, that they answer, but it seemed much more like the water cooler conversation was, where are you from? What you doing here? Why do you want to die? <laughs> What's which your is... problem? Exactly. What's your existential angst at the core of your being? Driving we'll go you. around in a circle, and we're all going to talk about our traumas. But just, like, keep oh, it to a two-sentence, okay? Yeah, like a blurb. Like, I can Save read it on breath. the back of a book. Yeah. Yes, conserve quick. energy whenever possible. The kid Rule who wanted to write a novel. 13? Going around, oh like, name, number, trauma. Oh, my God. I mean, pretty much. Yeah. So, when did you first read this book? Um, I first read this this time, I think. I thought oh. I had read it before, but I think I just read the summary of it, nice. as I want to do. I hadn't read a lot of any of the Bachman books until I moved in with my partner, Mike, because he has copies of all of them, and they were oh. never, like, in my library. It's certainly not, like, this one, so this copy I have is a collection that has rage... The long Ooh, walk. It has rage in it. It has rage. It has rage in the it. long walk, road oh work, and the running man. Nice. So you can't really find this very many places <laughs> on the scourges of the internet. I guess eBay. Uh, you can't really find rage for very decent reasons. Don't get yes. me wrong. I get it. 
But so I just didn't have access to it. It didn't occur to me to be reading the Bachman books. And then I moved in with Mike and he had a copy and I was like, I'm going to see what this rage is all about. And then I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I get that. Uh, Did you read it? <laughs> yeah. So I oh, read okay. that one. And then by the time, so it starts with rage and it goes into the long walk, this collection. Ugh. So by the time I was done with rage, I was like, we're just going to put this back on the shelf. Because I need to go sit and stare at a wall for, like, 15 minutes. Yeah, good call. So, and then I did that. Anyway, then I brought this on vacation with me recently, and I read God, this while on a cruise. Lily's, Lily's hot beach reads, <laughs> The Bell Jar, The Long Walk. Carrie, too. It's fun. Carrie, Not Carrie. Oh sorry. Sorry, Firestarter. Firestarter. Well, there is... A demonstrative fireball in both of those, so I could understand you. And a girl with psychic powers, so. You know, I want some young adult fiction, too. It's fine. It's fine. It's varied levels of, like, how I'm feeling about the cruise. The worst moments I was reading the long walk. (laughs) But yeah, I hadn't read it before. And so I read it recently, and it was very frustrating, I think is the word I would describe it, the Mm. entire time. Because I just, you want answers, right? Like, when you're in a situation like this, where you're like, why are they, what are the squads? Why are they doing this walk? Why is this a thing? What what are we doing? Who's the major? What's going on with the government? And we don't really get answers. (laughs) You get hints of answers, but you don't get, like, a, I remember the day the government took over, blah, blah, blah. Like, there's no, like, clear-cut expedition, which, like, I think fits with the story. I think it would be weird if that had happened, right? Like, mm-hmm. if somebody all of a sudden's like, so where were you the day the government became a dystopia? <laughs> like, it would be weird, but also it's like, it what's happening? <laughs> Why are these children doing this? And then, of course, there's the frustration of knowing, like, this is only for people who are under 18. This is only for children. And there's a hundred of them, and there's only one winner. 99 children die every year, and they fucking write essays for the chance. Fuck. Anyway, so it was just a very frustrating experience to read. So this was my, I think, second, possibly third. I think it was my second time reading this. And the first time I read it, I read some of, I read, I I was on like a Stephen King kick, but I read this one and The Running Man back to back. So oh. I sort of read, like, Stephen King as Richard Bachman's dystopian novels. I really liked The Running Man. And I really liked this, too. I think I was in my edgelord high school phase where I read A Clockwork Orange. And I was like, yeah, man, the old ultraviolence. And just thought it was, like... All so the nads, cool. that was the coolest thing ever, and like, oh my god. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, so I read this, and I liked it, and I thought it was, you know, a good time. It's all, it's all fine. And rereading it again, I was, I had remembered that the sort of, this is like, it's clearly a dystopia, and it's clearly horrible yeah. things have happened and are happening, but there, it's also sort of dystopian around the edges because it's really spending time it's really more of a character piece and spending time in the mindset of these men and or these these children yeah and um spending time in the mindset of these adult of these youths these youths 
interesting reading that and remembering, I remembered that Garrity's father was, like, outspoken against the squads and was dragged off by the government and all of that stuff. And I remembered Stebbins's character. And it was nice to read it and see the evolution of, oh, Stebbins is going to flake out early. Oh, no, maybe he isn't. Oh, no, I don't want him to yeah. flake out early. And just this whole evolution all along. And also, I forgot that McVries is truly the best. He's great. He's, we're going to talk about it, but he's great. But anyway, so reading it the first time, I was like, this is an interesting dystopia because, again, it's sort of around the edges and it's not really, it's sort of window dressing for the rest of the story and it's not really about the character sort of trying to change anything in the dystopia. It's just about sort of this horrible thing that happens that people have accepted and reading that a second time, I was trying to think of something to recommend. And I was like, I don't really think I have anything similar to this because this is pretty unique as far as in terms of what I've read and what I've seen in terms of how it engages with its dystopian setting. Yeah. I guess I just, like, I don't really know how I feel. Mm. That's the goal for this episode. By the end of it, maybe I'll to know what I feel. To how Lily feels. Welcome to therapy time. We'll solve the riddle. We're gonna we're gonna talk through everyone's trauma. Oh my god. We're gonna figure right. out everyone's problems. Anyway. What was going on in the world? Yeah, let's get some context. Please. So this was the second Bachman book published. It was published in nineteen seventy nine. Is mm-hmm. this technically a book? I think it's a novella. I think it is. It's not super short. It's definitely not a short story, but I don't know if it's full. It's hard because Stephen King's novels are so insane. Like, it's worked my sense of what a novel length is. It's true. Um, But I think this is a novella. It's it's comparable to all of the stories in different seasons, which is a collection of novellas. Yeah, I think so. It was published in 1979, but I thought it was interesting. It was the first novel he wrote. I guess this fact that I stole from Wikipedia, it calls it a novel. And he started it in 1966, 1967, when he was, like, in Mm -hmm. college. And I'm kind of like, what was your college like, buddy? Yeah. That in your freshman year at college, you started to write this. But it does make me feel a little bit better, because then he would have been, like, 18 years old. So him writing about 16-year-olds... Isn't as weird. It's not as weird. It makes me feel a little better about, like, why do you want to torture these children, Stephen King? Because he was a children. So it's a Indeed little better. He was. he was one of those. But yeah, we've kind of been stuck in this, like, two-year time span for a couple of episodes now, so I'm not really going to get into it. But you know Stephen. He's hanging out. He's doing a lot of drugs and drinking a lot. Having and a hanging bad out. time. Yeah. Um, the world, though. 1979 is pretty terrible year. They're all terrible years. They're just terrible. Uh, 1979 was the Three Mile Island incident in Pennsylvania, Mm. which is the worst nuclear incident disaster that the U.S. has found. Not sure how they classify it. They call it an accident a lot, but like, I don't know. Uh. Feels weird. Uh, that was also the year of the White Knight riots, the Iran hostage crisis started, and also, fun fact, it was the coldest winter since, 19, since 1895. Oh boy. So just, the world was on fire, and then everyone was freezing. 
A Song of Ice and Fire. Truly. Like, that's the vibe for 1979. Like, unemployment is still really high. There's still an energy crisis. The Unabomber is still happening. <laughs> As always, there's the Unabomber. People are rioting. As always, there's the Unabomber. It's a pretty rough time in American history. But we haven't gotten Reagan yet. This is the last blissful year before oh. Ronald Reagan is elected. The last blissful year, and yet it's so bad. It's still so bad. There was oh. a nuclear incident. God. That's not good. It's going to be really nice to get to the 90s. I can't wait uh. to leave the 80s. We talked um, about this We're last not episode. even in the 80s. We're going to spend so long here. Oh, God. I'm going to repress some of it, okay? okay? It's healthy. What could possibly go wrong? So that's the general vibe, right? Like, the world is on fire. It's really cold for some reason. There were a lot of hurricanes also. Uh, Makes sense. They're starting to be like, huh, like the literal world is falling apart. Great. Awesome. Love it. Um, And people really liked the Bakken books. They didn't sell as well as Kings, but like they sold. People responded to it. They were like, this kind of psychological dystopia, we're into it as a public. People were buying these Mm -hmm. books. So I think it's an interesting statement for people in the late 70s. They were fucking miserable. And then in the 80s, as we've discussed, like, things kind of became the fake happy. Yeah. Like, no, things are actually great. Don't look under the bed. There's a bunch of shit there. Don't worry about it, I cleaned my room, Mom. I promise. Yeah. Just don't look in the closet. Or under the bed, or open any of the drawers. Yeah. That was the 80s, so people were less, uh, I guess less inclined to accept it. But this was still the 70s, technically, so people were like, yeah, what an interesting dystopia. That yeah, won't be fuck us. Me up. And then I think right. nowadays you can't read it because you'd be like, yeah, that seems completely realistic. That could happen tomorrow. As we begin our story, I enjoy Lily's notes in the summary. As with all awful things, it starts with 100 teenage boys. Relatable. Um, also, I wrote 100 hundred. I was exhausted. It's fine. It's like when someone puts a dollar sign and then writes dollars on the end. You know, it's an easy mistake to make. It is. So there's a contest called The Long Walk, and it's an annual thing, and it starts very north in Maine. Do we remember what town it starts in? I it's don't right on, like, the Maine-Canada border. So like, the fuck 9 up. o'clock in the morning. Okay. Early in the morning, right on the border. Yes, so every year there is a fleet of 100 teenaged boys who have signed up for this by, what, submitting their name and then doing, filling out applications and yeah. including including an essay portion. Yeah, they write an essay. About why do you want to be in the long walk? And this is a contest that has like, a hundred people in it, and then I think they have a hundred people as backups? Or maybe 50 or something. Yeah, they And have then backups. there are multiple dates that you can back out before the actual walk starts. But, of course, for the first date, you don't... You find out if you're in, but you don't find out if you're actually in or if you're in as a backup. And then you have, like, a second deadline to drop out. Mm-hmm. And let you one of the backup people. But anyway, we start off with... A Ray Garrity, who is a 16-year-old from Maine, 
and he starts out walking, and we find out over the course of the novel that there are all of these assorted rules. So you start on the main Canada border, and you go until there is only one person left. And people are eliminated by doing a whole myriad of things. Um, the most basic is you have to maintain a walking speed of four miles per hour at least. And any time that you drop below that for 30 seconds, you get a verbal warning. You get three warnings, and then the fourth time that you slow down, you buy a ticket or get ticketed, which is all of the guards following you on half tracks with guns, shoot you. Yay! Yay! Fun, breezy time. Um, if you can maintain the appropriate speed for an hour, then you lose one of your warnings. Yeah. So... And you can do other things, yeah. like if you're trying to punch another contestant, if you leave the track, these are all ticketable offenses. Yeah. Indeed. Or you get warnings. It depends on what it is, right? Try to punch someone, that's yeah. a warning. If you run off the track, that's an immediate ticket. They get to food um, every morning. They get these like concentrates. concentrates. And then they can get water whenever they need. They just have to yell out and they'll get a fresh canteen. But they only get Which I did a appreciate. Store. At least they'll fucking keep them hydrated, Jesus Christ. At the very least. <laughs> um, it's the least this horrible, it's literally the least this horrible nightmare government can do for them. Yeah, and you can bring, like, a small pack with you as long as you can carry it the entire time. Like, if yes. you want to have a little backpack, you can bring one and you can put whatever in it. Mm-hmm. Garrity's mom gives him cookies, and Peter McVries has raw hamburger. <laughs> raw hamburger. He's like, I packed Which, an like, extra shirt, my toothbrush, and raw hamburger. I'm also, carry like, the this germ theory of disease existed at this point in time. Like, we weren't still running off the humoral system of medicine, so I was a little bit at a loss as to why he was like, yeah, I'm just going to chow down on this raw hamburger as I walk. As I walk Nothing in the sun. Nothing better for energy. They're in the sun. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's May. It's May. It's hot. And they're walking for... A long time. It's not like they're only yeah. outside for an hour. And the worst part is that he says it, and then Ray is like, oh man, I love raw hamburger. And I'm like, who what? the no. fuck is eating raw hamburger? It was so weird. Like, you Very know, what I could understand, I could understand, like, cooking a bunch of patties and wrapping them up in foil. Sure. And, like, tucking them up in your yeah. knapsack. But raw Hamburger, and no one remarks on this at all. We're anyway, busy looking is... at his dope facial scar. Yeah. Anyway, we'll talk anyway, about it. But yeah, they can fill up packs, they can bring things with them. Uh, almost mm. none of them bring anything that would be helpful. I was very frustrated mm. the whole time. Like, only one of them packs a hat for the raid. Yeah. And they're also, there are all of these sort of hints that they're given, and yeah. some of them keep on coming back, and one of them is conserve energy whenever possible. And don't wear so, sneakers. And people and who person, wear the sneakers. Oh, oh god. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that, yes. So, we have Raymond Garrity. He falls in with a bunch of other people who sort of refer to themselves as the Musketeers. Although at no point really do they actually sort of all say, oh, we're gonna... It's not... Yeah, it's like McBride's and then like Ray later. Yeah. And then, so there's Baker, Olsen, Parker, Pearson, Harkness, and Abraham. 
And then there is, of course, our resident know-it-all jerkass for the novel, Gary Barkovich. Just, he's our herald. He just sucks. Sucks so hard, and he's, like, purposely egging everyone on. And yeah. being a real asshole to them and like talking he about says how he's that, gonna dance on their graves. Oh yeah. He says that he has a killer strategy, which involves him picking up three warnings right at the start and then having to walk at the speed for three hours, else he will die. And everyone else around him is like, okay. He's terrible. Um mm-hmm. we have Stebbins. Yes. He's he was wearing mystery cool purple pants. <laughs> he's wearing purple pants and a green sweater. What a look. Always at the back of the pack and just sort of a silent presence. Doesn't yeah. really say anything. Just when he does say something, keeping on. it's like a weird riddle or like a story that absolutely wrecks everyone else. At multiple points, people talk about, oh, did you ever go and see a long walk? Stebbins is like, oh, I sure did. And it was real fucked up. Let me tell you about it because we don't need morale right now. <laughs> We're all gonna fucking die. It's gonna be terrible. Even if you live, you'll be ruined for life. And you're like, dude, why are yeah. you fucking here? And then there's Scram. Yes. Who everyone's who like, is married with a guy. child. Yeah, yeah, everyone loves him, but they're also like, why are you here? You're married with a child. What the fuck are you yeah. doing? Yeah, his wife is pregnant, so he wants to get money to make sure his kid can go to college, mm-hmm. which is nice. You know, that's a that's a nice goal. And he's like mm-hmm. easily favorited to be the winner. He's a very like, and then, athletic guy, and then he... He gets pneumonia. Yeah. So then all the other boys are like, we'll give the prize money, some of it, to his widow. Because, like, yikes, he was fucking married, and she's pregnant. And everyone agrees, including Stebbins, which yeah. surprises people, because they thought that he would just be a total jackass. So people keep dying... What else? People who are on the border of who? So people line up to come watch yeah, this. Yeah, they like watch it's it a like a goddamn parade. parade. It's yeah, and they bring horrible. signs, and then and some they of cheer them people. will try to like egg them on. They'll try to get them to like buy sodas, which is against the rules. Well, they won't um, even buy. It. They'll just bring. They'll just bring sodas or water, or in one memorable yeah. instance, watermelon. Yeah. Which, oh, the watermelon, the way it's described, it sounds so good. Because <laughs> they describe how hot it is, and this man has watermelon that's on beds of ice, and it's this cool, sweet, refreshing, juicy summer treat, and he ends up throwing it into the crowd, and so everyone gets into the crowd of walkers, so everyone gets at least a tiny chunk of it, and it just sounds so good. Yeah. Anyway, Raymond becomes really tight with McVries, who or McVries, I'm not sure which I say McVries. They have this weird, like, homoerotic tension because also Garrity is incredibly fucking horny the whole time. Uh, so McVries says that he got his dope facial scar, <laughs> which he has <laughs> because he was in a relationship with this woman or this this girl. They're God, they're all children. Yeah, they're all um, children. They're all children. In a relationship with this girl who things ended up going south and they had this really shitty confrontation and she stabbed him in the face with a lettered opener, as I, if I recall. Yes. <laughs> and so he says, well, that was, that was, you know, a fucked up thing that happened to me. But now I got this bitch and facial scar and I'm here because I want to die. He's sort of the most open about 
being here because he doesn't really have yeah. anything going for him and sort of first raises the question of, so why do you want to die? Here's why I want to die. Because I just want to be dead. What about yeah, you? Yeah, he's into it. Um, yeah. Also, the walk is breaking a lot of records. I think they make it the furthest distance without losing any, with a full complement of walkers than has happened before. Yeah. And then eventually they're also the first walk in 17 years to make it into Massachusetts, which is a whole big thing. Oh, we also need to talk about the character of the Major, who is the one who sort of runs uh, this. Yeah, he, like, he runs it, slashes, like, the mascot for it. He, like, makes slashes and will show also, up at key points. Like, and the head of... It's kind of... It's implied that he's, like, the head of the government, right? Uh, yeah, he's certainly very Unclear. high up. I don't know. He's very high up, and he's just, like, the major, right? Like, they refer to him yeah, capitals. Yeah, he's always referred to that. Mm-hmm. And he, like, will make speeches about patriotism and, like, how great these walkers are, where he's just watching these teenagers, these children, die. And even though, like, they kind of start to hate him, like, they start making fun of him, still, when he shows up for a long time, they'll still, like, cheer for him. And it's, like, this yeah. compulsive thing, and it's not until, like, you know, hour 70 or whatever that they start being like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Except for our boy Pete, who gets it right away. Yes, who hates Not right away, but he's better. He's just better. Um, he also saves Garrity's ass, like, a bunch of times. Yeah, he saves a lot of people's ass, actually. He does. He's one of the few people that's like, come on, like, you have to keep going. Like, you have to keep going. Olsen, you piece of shit, you gotta keep going. Oh my god, yeah. There are, so there are also assorted horrible deaths. So Olsen, hold on, who's the first person? What's his name? Scram. Scram gets pneumonia, he dies. Olsen, everyone sort of keeps on expecting him to die and expecting him to die, and he's just basically a shell of a person, and just yeah. that shell keeps a going for a long time, and eventually he ends up, what does he climb up on one of the half tracks? I forget, his are pretty grisly yeah. death where they sort of want to make an example of him, and there's a period where they shoot him in the gut, he walks with his intestines falling out and like scoops them up, and yeah. keeps walking and walking and walking. And then I think he... I can't remember if he walks until he dies or if they eventually just shoot him. But it's made clear that they sort of want to make an example of him for attempting to wrest control from from people. Yeah. It's horrible. I think, like, he's trying to, like, take the gun from the soldiers. Mm-hmm. Something like that. I can't remember offhand. It's pretty bad. It's really awful. There are a couple really bad ones. Um, Barkovich loses it. He cracks up and he keeps on shouting about... So every time that someone gets shot when Barkovich is still around as the crowd dwindles, he keeps on sort of yelling that he's still alive and that he's going to dance on everybody's graves. And he keeps on saying that right up until the point where he rips yeah. his own throat out with his hands. Uh, it's pretty bad. It's, it's pretty bad. And then there are a couple, like, smaller ones that are up, like, a kid gets diarrhea, and there's just, like, this horrible description of him, like, trying to walk and have diarrhea. At the same time, yeah. And they shoot him. Um, As he's squatting down. A lot of the horror is just, like, I mean, Garrity gets to know these kids around him, right? Like, they yeah. have a lot of mm-hmm. camaraderie. And then, like... Yeah, because you 
bond really close to others. Humans are pack animals, and misery really bonds you close together to people. That's why hazing works. Ugh, which is a whole other thing that we're not going to talk about. But, um... Yeah, so... But, yeah, so he's going through all these, die. like, really horrible things, and he's bonding really close to these people because they're going through this miserable experience together, and there can only be one winner, and everybody dies. Yeah. And then we meet more... We meet more. We learn more about Stebbins, and it turns yeah. out that Stebbins is one of the many bastard sons of the major and Stebbin says refers to himself as the rabbit and says that he was put on this walk he feels that the major put him on this walk to be the rabbit that the dogs chase around the track and to push people faster which seems to have been working because he's always been staying at the back and they've been breaking all of these records so he says that what he wants his prize to be is to be welcomed into the major's house as a legitimate son. And, like, it's a horrible because he like, for a long time he thought, like, he just didn't know. But it turns out, like, he knew and he just has bastards all over the fucking country. Yeah. Uh, so he, like, that's why he's in this race, even though his father had shown him. He's one of the few walkers that has been to the end of a long walk. Uh, and knows how... Yeah, not just to a long walk, but to the end of it. Yeah, like, not just, like, oh, they started out, you know, five hours ago, watch them go past, like, the the finish Mm -hmm. line, which is a horrible experience, and still, like, he has to do this. It's pretty Mm -hmm. shitty to do to, like, your son, but it's pretty shitty to do to any child. So, you know, whatever. Um, people are dying and dying and dying, finally with security and Stebbins... I miss McRae's. Anyway. I miss McRae's, too. And Garrity's like, oh, like, Stevens hasn't slowed down at all. Like, I'm just gonna give up. I'm gonna, like, catch up to him and tell him I'm gonna give up. And then Stevens, like, turns, looks at him, rips his shirt open, and then just dies. Which, like, sounds funny, but it wasn't when you're reading it. No, it's really horrible. <laughs> it's really all of the horrible. the horrible in this. And so he just suddenly, like, dies, and Garrity keeps walking. Like, he doesn't realize that he has won and he can stop. He keeps going, and, like, the like the Jeep with the Major comes up on the road to congratulate him. He's like, what an idiot. You know you can't have cars on the road. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to get shot. So he yeah, thinks he there's someone like ahead of him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, it must be somebody. Somebody's, like, trying to get his attention, like, touching his shoulder, and, like, he starts running somehow. God and knows how he runs after all of this. And then the it just fucking ends. And the end. It just fucking ends. Yeah. And when the hand touched his shoulder again, he somehow found the strength to run. It's the last sentence of the book. Like, he just, he's done. He's out. In summary, <laughs> shit's fucked. You can't run away from your trauma, but he's gonna try. But he's gonna try. He's real gonna try. Um, anyway, so yeah, this is a horrible, horrible story. With some funny and some nice parts, but overall, pretty fucking dystopian. Yeah. I was fascinated by... So I'm very used to the sort of... I'm used to... A few different structures in my dystopian fiction, but this is one 
that does not fall into any of those patterns. So there's, of course, the one that The Hunger Games sort of codified for AYA fiction, which TBH, Scott Westerfeld's Ugly series, did it first and better, but that's a conversation for another time, which is character part of horrible governmental system um there's divisions into factions and some sort of sorting something and then they Mm -hmm. have to go against it and they become sort of the figure to lead the revolution and bring everything down or they discover some dark inner truth and there's sort of the individual fighting against the system and it has sort of its own specific tropes and then there's like the Brave New World and 1984 where there's a cog it's generally a dystopian fiction is there's a cog in the machine who discovers that they're a cog in the machine and does something to try and fight against it does it succeed does it fail we don't know and this one is just a cog in the machine moving the machine yeah gotta keep on keeping on nothing happens there is no, like, happy resolution. This will happen again next year. Sucks. <laughs> Pretty much. Right, though? Like, sucks. Uh, yeah. It's fucking depressing. Especially because, like, we don't get to see him after. Like, we don't know if he ever is okay again. And the thing well, about ambiguous... Not. I was gonna say, the thing about ambiguous endings is that the ambiguity is the point of the ending. So in this instance, we don't know whether or not Garrity recovers and the the purpose of not knowing is to say he's going to be really fucked up forever. Yeah. Which honestly, that's I really like ambiguous endings for that reason, that reason, and it frustrates me when people are like, "Oh, we have to speculate about what it means and I'm like no 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 no. the meaning is that you don't know yeah that is what it means the meaning is it means there is no answer like when you're reading this you should feel frustrated and powerless and unhappy at the end exactly that's how dystopias be indeed like that's how it is beach this wouldn't be good if like at the end of it like he sees Jan, and he, like, runs towards her, like, Stefan's mm-hmm. fucking dead behind him, and they, like, kiss, and it's, like, it's all gonna be okay. Like, that would oh be a God. shitty novel. So, talking about Jan, let's talk about how Ray is so horny. Ray is so horny. So horny. Like, unbelievably horny. <laughs> this sounds stupid, right? Because, uh, you know, he's a teenager, I feel like, like, oh, sure, like, of course he's gonna be horny, but he's unrealistically horny. Um, I guess that's just, like, the death. But yeah, so there's a a very Freudian thing of, like, um, the death drive and the sex drive, and that they're very close together, and whatever. So, like, okay, Ray starts out this thing horny. There's a part very early on where, like, a young woman is standing off the side and she has a sign for Garrity because he, they're mm-hmm. in Maine. They started Maine and he's from Maine. And we all know about Maine. They love Maine. So well, the whole time... The yeah, and the whole time there are signs for him and they call him, like, Maine's own and it's, like, it's yes. great. 
And so he sees this girl who's hot and has a sign for him, and he goes over to her, and they, and like, start out making with out. feels up her butt. And, like, he gets a warning for it. And he gets a it. warning for it, yeah. And he just, like, trots back. Like, it's and like, everyone's like, yeah, man. He only he gets super one warning, out with her. which means it's, like, less than a minute. Right, so it's like 30 yeah. seconds of not walking is a warning. So this has mm-hmm. to be less than a minute of him doing this. And it's like, what was the point? And also, conversely, the whole time, he's like, I love my girlfriend, Jan. I love her so much. That's what's going to get me through. But, like, he's always just thinking about fucking her. <laughs> like, he I spends think- a lot of time thinking about how they haven't had sex yet. Yeah. And how am I going to get her to have sex with me? And, like, oh, do you remember the first time we kissed? Like, do you remember how her boobs felt? And, like, Ugh. that's what's getting him through it. Which, like, I guess, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do, right? I was gonna say, like, whatever's I think it's gonna very get you much through. solely as Jan becomes whatever Garrity needs her to be because he's just like, oh, I'll see her way down the line and I have to get there and I have to make it to her. And so he, she becomes, I think he is somewhat horny as a teenage boy and the fact that he's in this de- yeah. desperate situation it's kind of like okay be terrified of dying or just be really horny like i'm going to i'm going to refocus my attention into sort of having sex and my girlfriend who's just kind of there for me just kind of like there in the world existing so I think that odd but also understandable that he's so fixated on Jan but that is kind of a separate issue from his overall horniness yeah there's also a moment when McBreeze is like I'll give you a hand job if you want yeah he's like is this gonna fucking help like, like I'll do it this Whatever. sucks dude Y'all want to have Ray an is, orgasm, and they're like, "Yeah." No. He's like, like, "Not, I'm not." Like the grace is gonna do whatever it takes to get Garrity through this walk. Oh my god! Which is so weird. But anyway, yeah, he's just he's so horny, and he loves Jan, but he like very early on cheats on her, right? Like he makes out with a stranger yeah. for no reason. This isn't like he's he's not delirious at this point. No, he's totally it's very he's just like, early. Oh. They still have all 100 guys at this point. I see hot girl with sign for me. I, I will make out. Touch her butt. And like the whole time, every time they pass any woman, he just like thinks about her boobies. <laughs> or like something, right? Like, and all the yeah. boys are pretty like horned up, right? Like they are pretty, they're talking about sex a lot. I think it's also one of those things where, like, again, they're under 18, so they're probably just... I mean, I've never been a teenage boy, so I really don't know what teenage boy sex discourse is like, but I feel like there's a certain degree of wanting to sound, like, cooler or more experienced or, like, a red-blooded, rare-and-to-go man, especially around... Like, there's a lot of performance of masculinity, I think. Yeah. And I do think that... I was was reading something... I was reading... It was a post on Tumblr about... um, It was, like, a group of... 
think it was like factory workers and there was or or people some sort of branch of armed service whatever and there was like a women's cafeteria and a men's cafeteria and there was a man who would just come into the woman's because he wanted to have a meal in a place where people said please pass the butter instead of pass the goddamn grease I remember that and so I think it's just very they're all of these like they're terrified out of their minds they're high school boys they're all about to die and death is happening around them so in order to have a nice time and feel braver than they are they're just gonna be like oh yeah I've totally fucked and it was great I don't know we just we never learn anything about Jan really that I felt like if we learn she can knit better than he can yeah and that like her boobs are fucking incredible her she's just got the best titties in all of Maine and he nearly fucking dies in front of her and his mom. Oh my god, that's right. And then he feels really bad because he didn't actually look at his mom. And he's like, I hope she'll understand, right? It's like, no, I don't know. Like, maybe. She wasn't very fond of him going into this, his mother. That's she tried true. to talk him out of it. Because there's a dead younger sibling who's better. Yeah. Where have we seen that before? Classic. <sighs> um... Also, like, and his father's dead, so, like, this is, mm-hmm. that's, like, that's what she has. She has Ray. That's true. That's her option. Her fucking horny 16-year-old son. With a death with wish. With a death wish. Whatever. I do want to talk about how McBride's got his scar. But yes. I don't know when you want to do that, if you want to do that. Uh, or... We can talk about it now. Because it's on the Why same not? topic. It is. Um, it's hard to reconcile I was reading this. this and like I was like, guys. we do. I was like, reading this and I was like, this feels very man rationalizing something that didn't actually happen this way. Well, so like, you read it, right? And he's talking about how he had this girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Chris, Priscilla. He calls her Chris. Yes. Which is like not a very nice nickname, but whatever. And they both get summer jobs at a factory. And, like, they stay in apartments near each other, but she's staying with, you know, some other girls, and he's staying with some other Mm -hmm. dudes. And they're both working in this factory. But she's making more money than he is in, like, a nicer area of the factory. And she doesn't want to spend the money. it's a piecework factory. Yeah. They're making pajamas. And she's sewing buttons, and he's a bagger. And she's making more Mm -hmm. money. And she doesn't want to spend it. She wants to put it in the bank, and she doesn't want to go Dutch on anything. And she probably, very realistically needs the money like he says it like i don't know like she's obsessed with money but like they're in a dystopia so probably she really needs the money like they're Uh living in a world where people will let their teenagers die just for the chance of getting some money she probably needs the money you probably need the money too like the whole time she's like oh yeah she would like talk about how much money Michelle was making she was like, like, we can't afford to go to hotels together, like, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, she was probably right. Yeah. And then they get into a fight because he gets into a fight with somebody else at work. Uh, and then he's like, hey, I'm going to quit. And she was like, yeah, that's that was a good call. You got into a fight at work. You're not going to work there anymore. And then mm-hmm. he was like, oh, I'm going to go home. Come with me. And she was like, I can't. 
and he got into a huge fight and like calls her a bitch, all this stuff. And then he tries so to take weird. her to bed. So here's uh, I found it. So and then she cuts his face open with a letter opener. So what happens is they're talking about it's all it's just so it's so horrible and toxic and I really don't know. And she's like crying and sobbing and she's like why did you do that to me like why would Mm -hmm. you ruin things like that I never want to see you like why would you do that and it's because he had just been screaming at her calling her a bitch Mm -hmm. and a fool and then he tried to rape her that's what that is it's not he tried to go to bed with her like if a man comes into your apartment and is screaming at you and then like tries to have sex with you that's not you're not consenting there and she was probably fucking terrified. I'm gonna assume. Yeah. So what? So she was fucking terrified, um, and then slashes his face open with a letter opener, which like yeah, I, sucks. But I got also, in a fight. I told Pris that I'd quit. She said it was probably best. I told her I was going home and asked her to come. She said she couldn't. I said she was nothing but a slave to her fucking buttons, and that I wished I'd never seen her. I told her she was a fool. I told her she was a fool and an unfeeling bitch that couldn't see any further than the goddamn bank book she carried around in her purse. Nothing I said was fair, but there was some truth in all of it, I guess. We were at her apartment. They were at- her roommates were at the movies. I tried to take her to bed, and she cut my face open with a letter opener. Yeah. She cut me like I was trying to rape her. Yeah, dude. Cause- Cause you were. You- you were? Like, you can't scream at a woman and call her a bitch and then expect her to consent to sex with you. Yeah. That's not how that I cried. I that cried works. like a baby. I got down on my knees and held her skirt and begged her to forgive me, and all the blood was getting on the floor. She gagged and ran off into the bathroom. Yeah, when she came out, she had a towel for my face. She said she never wanted to see me again. She was crying. She asked why I'd done that to her, hurt her like that. She said I had no right. There I was, Ray, with my face cut wide open, and she's asking me why I hurt her. Like, yeah, <sighs> dude, you abusive piece of shit. Not to get all, like, why does he do that on you, again, for, like, the eighth billionth time on this podcast. But it's but here! if a man loses it, screams at you, and then tries to rape you, and then makes, like, blames you for reacting badly, and, like, begs for forgiveness, don't forgive them. Don't. Yeah. That's gonna happen again. Also, he does talk about how when they first have sex, he's like, I felt like a real crook. She didn't really want to screw, but she wanted to please me. That's also rape. And it's, it's the whole thing. Yes, it is. Like, the There's... whole, his whole thing. It's and so like, weird. they went to like a motel and like, it just seems like a fucking miserable existence that they're living in. Like, she's dating this guy who's fucking miserable. And they don't explain why he got into a fight at work. But I think he has this pattern of violent behavior. Well, they kind of do. Because they say that... So he's explaining that it's a piecework factory. And so he was kind of shit at his job, which was being a bagger. And that meant that he was sort of bottlenecking things up for everybody else. So he got like had friction with this one specific person with many people but specifically he names Ralph who is the person who yeah. he later gets in a fight with as someone who hated him because he couldn't make enough money doing his job because yeah. McVries was fucking up his job 
he's very rightfully upset because he's losing money because this teenager who got this job sucks at his job and is like miserable and is like I can't believe I have to do this like he's very yeah, indignant also, about the whole thing he says like I wasn't a very good bagger but the way that he talks about it it seems very much like I just didn't really care to exert enough effort and make enough money like it doesn't seem like he wasn't a good bagger because he didn't understand it or he wasn't strong enough or something he just says that he wasn't very good at it he's like yeah I sucked and then everyone didn't like me the way that he talks about this it's very much I'm trying to tell you some shit that I did and it's fucked up but I know that it was fucked up so it's okay and And now I want to die so exactly not that I think he ever didn't want to die. Yeah, but, like, but it's certainly it's, related, right? Like, Yeah, it is. I don't know. It's just, like, there's even a part where it's he asked her to marry him, and she's like, no, like, we can't afford that. Or Ray is like, oh, it was unfair of you to ask her. He's like, yeah, it was unfair. I knew that. I wanted to make her feel like a greedy, self-centered little bitch because she was making me feel like a failure. Only she didn't have to make me feel like a failure because I was a failure. And, like, that's the whole thing. Like, he was failing and he was making it her problem. There's an even worse sentence immediately after that. Yeah. I didn't have anything in particular going for me except a cock to stick in her, and she wouldn't even make me feel like a man by refusing that. What sort of convoluted victim-blaming bullshit? Yeah. I think this is a good instance of Stephen King showing his inexperience as a writer. (laughs) Because this is, you said it's the first novel that he wrote. It's certainly not the first to be published, but I don't know. I mean, we've talked about how things should have been edited out of the stand that very much were not. And I think that this is another instance of Stephen King not being a super judicious editor with his own work. Part of it was, like, because he wrote Gotham books, they were probably a little bit less tight with the editing. Yeah, I think so. But it's just, um... (sighs) It's also a pretty sharp contrast to McFry's as he is in The Long Walk, because he is so sympathetic... And not in terms of himself, but he's so sympathetic to all of his fellow walkers, and he's so determined to help them, and he's looking out for them, and he's picking them up, and he's yelling at Barkovich for being a shit, and he's doing all this stuff, and it's so dramatically opposed to who he is in this story. Yeah. You want to have a reason, right? Like, you don't want to be like, oh, this guy who's, like, a rapist... I like him in this. Like, yeah. you don't want that. You want to have, like, reasoning. Like, you want to blame Chris. Like, you want yeah. to find a way to absolve him of blame. Because he's, like, the only decent person in this walk. It's true. And he's the only person who gets it the whole time. He's like, yeah, that guy needs to be yelled at to keep going. This guy I need to, like, physically drag. This guy Fuck needs the to, major. like, just walk by him. Like... He's very perceptive. He gets it. He understands what this is. He's Which is part of why it's so jarring too. that he was so imperceptive about himself and what he was doing in his own life. Yeah. But I think, again, 
It's a pattern that we see in Stephen King's writing and that we see with abusive men all the time. Yeah, like, I think a lot of the characters here, like, going back to their horniness, like, they're just not thinking of women as people. They're thinking that yeah. it's, like, boob receptacles. Pretty much. Boob no. receptacles? Not boob receptacles. They're not there to receive the boobs. <laughs> you gotta give them the boob. I mean, um, in the sense that you refer to, like, a stupid man as a boob, they are boob yeah, receptacles. I hadn't decided if I wanted to say, like, boob machines or dick receptacles, and so we just kind of came Let's together, go with boob and I didn't realize... wherein boob means stupid man. Yeah. But, like, they're just these... Stupid They're boy. just boobies, and they're just a place to put their penis. And, like, that's the whole thing. Or, like, they're a symbol of normal life to, like, rush towards as they reach the finish. Yeah. Like, they're not people. None of these characters ever have a conversation about women that makes it feel like they're people. Mm-hmm. Honestly, kind of scram a little bit. Where he's just like, I knew I wanted to marry her. She's smarter than I am. Our kid's gonna be smart. I'll do anything And I'm doing this because... Yeah, exactly. So he's the only one, really. Yeah, and um, even that, it's still, like, my wife. Like, but he's yeah. the best one, I think. Where I love that he was, like, I dropped out of school because I was stupid, but I made sure my wife finished school because she is smart and she was going to get a degree and our kid is going to be smart because of her. <laughs> I love my smart wife. Um, yes. Love my wife. And he seems genuinely like he really loves her, which is like weird because yeah. I got married at fifteen, which generally speaking, don't do that. Right? Like that's a mistake most of the time. But it yeah. works for these guys, I guess. So like I'm not damning them for this because they are in pretty fucking horrible circumstances. But it's still big a uh, yikes for me. Right. Well, it's also it's also that thing where like I don't blame the characters for being this way in this situation, but I do. But the author put yeah. them into the situation because they're didn't not have to do real this. people. Exactly, they didn't yeah. have yeah, to have exactly. these attitudes. They didn't have to say these things. So that's where the issue is. Like it's like yes, in the story, it's understandable, but the story could have been anything. Yeah, like no one had to do this. And I guess, like, that's the whole thing with all of the problems I have with these characters. It's like, I get that they're going through it, and Stephen King wanted to make it clear that, like, they are having mental breakdowns, but also, I wish they didn't do a lot of the things they did. Yeah. It reads very Lord of the Flies to me. Mm-hmm. Where they're like, in this situation, all of these boys would be the worst. But I think if they had been kind to each other, it would have had to end with, like, a revolution on the dystopia. Yeah. Like, this is the way you kind of continue. Look at them jahoobies. That's just one sentence about boobs in this book that I just wanted to quickly end on. I'm done talking about boobs now, but I wanted to point out jahoobies. Anyway. Yeah. uh, Let's move on to the uncomfortable subject of race. Yeah. I'm trying to find where... Ewing mm-hmm. dies. I can't remember like at what point it happens. He's the one who gets blisters, right? Yeah, so it's early. Um, do you want to start talking about 
Native American representation. Oh, God, yeah. I literally just wrote, in all caps, Stephen, please stop the Native American nonsense. This time, unlike with John Rainbird, he actually names a couple tribes of Native Americans, but he's also just, like, such a yikes that I honestly, like, just don't say anything. You don't have to say it at all. So he talks about the two brothers, which also, before it's learned that their brothers, everyone is like, oh, those fruits, those fairies, they're so weirdly close to each other, gotta be gay, which is also just like, thanks, I hate it. And then it's, um, hold on, now I can't find it. Where is it? Oh, yeah. So, oh yeah, so it's revealed uh, Joe and Mike, the leather jacket guys everybody thought was queer for each other, they're Hopies. I think that's what Scram was trying to tell us before and we weren't getting him. But see, what I hear is that they're brothers. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And then they're like, that's twisted! They're... (laughs) Their folks ought to be squatted for allowing something like that, which is saying their parents should be killed for allowing both of them to be in. Um, And then the thing that made me absolutely furious um, was there's a Seminole reservation down home across the state line. They're funny people. They don't think of things like responsibility the same way we do. They're proud and poor. I guess those things are the same for the Hopis as they are for the Seminoles, and they know how to die. God. And then when it's time for one of them and Scram to die, they, like, join arms and go and just talk to each other and, like, sit down together and face death with dignity. And it's just so noble savage trope all over the place, which, if you've listened to our Firestarter episode, you know is just a fucking mess. I just, like, what is up with Stephen King thinking, like, all Native Americans are weirdly into death? Like, they know yeah. how to die. He, they think about death. Like, they can't wait to die and, you know, show their scars in the next life. Like, it's a very also, fatalistic they're proud and poor. Like, you know, you could make an... So, like, I feel that there is potential... To have done literally anything with the fact that this is a competition, that there will only be one winner, and it's horrible and desperate, and everyone here wants to die. And you could maybe do something interesting with, like, this is a dystopian state where everyone is miserable. Everyone is miserable. Yeah. And also it's hinted that... Like, World War Two went on for a lot longer, and I don't even know if, I think, ended in, like, a stalemate, or even Germany won. The United States was not one of the victors in World War Two in this book. Yeah. So, given that, and also given the Amer- the fact that, like, 
the eugenics movement started was hugely, hugely prominent in America, and the Nazis drew a lot of their own notions of racial purity and eugenics and also sterilization and like ethnic cleansing from the American eugenics movement and the fact that a lot of sterilization was practiced on and and propagated against Native Americans in America. Yeah. Like you could maybe do something interesting with like, oh, life for us is bad, but it's even worse for Native Americans who in our real world live, have been forced to live on reservations and have huge problems as a function of being forced off of their land and stuff. So like, I'm fumbling to try and articulate a clear point. But basically what I'm saying is that there was room to do something fruitful with it's so much more desperate for these people that they were willing to let two brothers enter this because then they'd have a better chance, even though that means that one of them would die because they need something more. But we never get to meet them as characters. We never get to learn what their lives are like, what drove them to join the walk. They're just sort of off in the distance being maybe gay, no turns out they're brothers, but they know how to die well, and then one of them faces death with dignity. Yep. And it's just stale and boring and gross and very in line with unfortunately conventional shitty depictions of Native American people. And it's just... Uh, I, I think the whole story has a, a race problem, right? Yes. With, like, capital Very letters. Much. We don't have a lot of characters that are of color. Um, we have Uig. Who's described Uig. as so black that he's almost blue. Yeah, I want to talk yeah, about that. Yeah, that's how Uig is described. And then we have Barkovich, who's described as olive-skinned, or, like, darker-skinned. Mm-hmm. Not, like, they don't assign a race to him. He's just, like, generally darker than the other boys. And he's the primary antagonist, and it's interesting mm-hmm. that we chose to, like, make the primary antagonist not perfectly white, or even to mention his skin tone. Most of the boys you don't hear what they look like like that like Mm -hmm. a lot of them unless they're particularly pale you don't know that they're white but the antagonist of course we had to mention that not only does he have a skin tone but it is like darker than say like our main character Garrity's which is like a yikes right yeah and then we have these Native American brothers who as you discussed are like not portrayed well but in a weird way I really want to talk about what Ewig and Baker Ewing. Ewing? Yeah, sorry. I keep getting tripped up on the EW, and then, like, the rest of it kind of disappears for me. I see. Yeah. I don't know why that's such a hard thing for me to, like, conceptualize how to pronounce. I don't know. I think it's something that I just will read, but I don't ever hear. That's fair. The EW sound? Anyway, this doesn't matter. This is, like, complete diversion. Really? (laughs) I don't spend a lot of time talking about female sheeps? (laughs) use if you will anyway the gals that's what we call them back home Uh, (laughs) is it really (laughs) i mean i would probably so yeah so to start out with like he's described as so black he looks sort of blue by Mm -hmm. baker 
they're like realizing before he's wearing sneakers and rule hint number three not rule number three hint number three is don't wear sneakers and they're just like what a fucking idiot they keep mentioning his race like over and over again the back of his t-shirt startling white against his black skin also you don't this need is to a keep very... saying he has dark skin you don't keep saying it this is a very petty complaint yeah they say that he's walking in pus from broken blisters that's yeah. not how blisters work no not certainly not walking blisters Walking blisters like, may be blood, but more likely lymph. They don't just clear right away. Anyway, yeah, this is a it's a very mild complaint, especially considering that we're talking about like yeah how bad depictions of race are in this novel. But it did annoy me. I was like, that's not. And they just they talk about how like he's so muscly and like tough but like it doesn't matter because he's an idiot and he put on sneakers Garrity um, could see the big muscles in his back ripple as he walked muscles enough to last for days oh god it's such and a it's weird very, sentence but and then, all like, those muscles all the training couldn't stop blisters and charlie horses i appreciate that part of the horror of this also, situation is, look, sometimes you just get blisters on your feet and that's going to do you in. But the fact that it's an extremely dark-skinned black man who is explicitly called an idiot repeatedly for doing this. And, like, otherwise he would have been such a contender, but he was really stupid. And so, because he made this one mistake, he's super dead. Yeah, and it's interesting, like, they, I know that this is early on, so they describe his death in detail, which, like, they stop doing. He's the doing. second person to yeah. die. So, like, part of it is, like, it's early, so, he, like, they haven't stopped just not looking at the people who are dying. Um, but I thought it was interesting because he fell below speech for the last time, and he was clustered in with a group of boys. So he fell below speech for the last time. They pushed the other boys aside. They dragged him over the shoulder. He tried to fight, but not much. One of the shoulder soldiers pinned Ewing's arms behind him while the other put his carbine up to Ewing's head and shot him. That's not how they've done any of the other killings, and that's not how they do any of the other killings. Like, most of them, they will just pick them off. If they're making yeah. an example, they'll shoot them multiple times. They don't do this ritualistic, like, yank him over to the side of the road, hold his arms back, shoot him in the head, execution type of killing. They mostly just kind of, like, shoot them like they're all kind of garbage, right? Like, they don't care. The soldiers, like, are not putting an effort to kill these boys because they're not worried about it. They're not going to not die. Exactly, yeah. Like, if they're making an example like they do with Olsen, like, that's different. But then, then, like, they don't try to restrain him at all. They just shoot Mm -hmm. him a lot. They are fighting with him, and that's in the stillness after the single shot. So they pull him to the side and only shoot him in the head once, instead of just picking them off and shooting them a few different times. Like it's a very different execution. It's ritualistic, and I don't. It feels very. I don't know. Like it's a symbol of something. Like it's supposed to set an example in a different way. I just. I don't know what the point 
is. And then, like, McFry's is like, oh, he bleeds the same color as anyone else. And it's like, yeah, dude, I... I hated that. Like, what is up with this? Why was his race so present? And the thing that I thought was interesting later on, so they get word from the crowd that, like, he has blisters and it's not looking good for him. And Mm -hmm. Baker picks up his pace until he's walking with him and talks to him for quite a while, they said. And then he comes back and, like, gives a report, right? They Mm -hmm. find out later on, he's on 220 of my weird copy, Baker's talking about how he was a night writer for three years. And he got out after they burnt a cross on some black man's lawn. So, like, night riders were not quite, like, a terrorist group. He also says, like, it's a squatting offense. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. I was a night rider for three years. That's a squatting offense, but I didn't care. I was only 12 when I got into it. Ain't hardly nothing but kids who go night riding now, you know. Older heads are wiser heads. They'd tell us to go to it and pat our heads, but they weren't out to get squatted, not yeah. them. I got out after we burned a cross in some black man's lawn. I was scared green and ashamed, too. Yeah, so they were, like, I I don't know how they function in this, like, dystopian world. I know there is a real group, or if there was a group of, like, night Riders, and it happened post-Civil um, War, and it was, like, the wealthy landowners in the South trying to keep the black population under control. And so they did things like burning crosses, there are plenty of deaths on their hands, um, generally terrorizing the black population to kind of get them under the thumb of these rich white landowners. Different than the KKK, but like similar. And that's something he did and then had some guilt over it. And I think it's really interesting that he was the one that when he found out that Ewing had blisters, he like went up and talked to him. Is it him, like, trying to, like, get rid of that guilt? I committed terrible acts against black people when I was younger. Here, let me show compassion to this black person. He's also the person who says the so black, he's almost blue line. Yeah. Like, he definitely has some problems. And then we have this context of, like, oh, yeah, I was in a terrorist organization, basically. Baker goes to talk to Ewing, and then... He comes back. And so Barkovich joined them. Barkovich was looking at Ewing, too. Blisters! He made it sound like Ewing's mother was a whore. What the hell can you expect from a dumb, mm, now I ask you? And then Baker says, move away, or I'll poke you. It's against the rules, Barkovich said with a smirk. Keep it in mind, cracker. Like, what the... Like, so Uh, he, he was in the Night Riders and was like, oh, this is terrible. Why on earth are we doing this? Like, this isn't right. And quit. And then, like, now he's a champion for racial justice in the log walk. Like. Very weird. It's a very strange note. And I, like, I mean, I could get that, right? Like, if you get into those groups when you're 12 years old, right? Like, you don't, you don't know. Like, you're just doing what your family tells you to. You're 12 years old, you can't make those kinds of decisions. So I wouldn't necessarily, like, damn a 12-year-old who got involved with that. And, like, he states that where he's like, yeah, they only make kids do it now because they know that we'll get killed if we get found out. And so they, like, make the young children go and do it while they stay safe. Like, he very, like, he hits on that. 
And I guess it's nice that after running across on a black ant swan, he's like, this is actually terrible and I'm going to quit. But he was in it for three years. That's something, so this brings me to something that I was thinking about, the comparison between The Long Walk and Battle Royale. I haven't read, I think it was a book and a manga, or was it just a manga and then it was adapted? I'm not sure. Into a film. So I've only seen the film, but Battle Royale is also where there's a dystopian dictatorship government and they go through a yearly, or even it's more frequently than a yearly in Battle Royale, but it's they round up all of these school children and force them to kill each other. So it's like, what is it about dystopian fiction? Where and even like the the Hunger Games is I don't think as good an example of that in this instance because it's sort of set up very clearly in the Hunger Games that like oh this is punishment for a rebellion and it's sort of a lot more clear yeah X Y Z happened so now the government is doing A B C. Versus, I think, Battle Royale and The Long Walk, it's much more, there are these, everything is horrible, but the government structure is forcing these children to do something to the death. And so I'm trying to think about, in terms of Baker and the fact that the Knight Riders, he joined the Knight Riders when he was 12 and he stopped when he was 15, and he explicitly says, like, oh, it's really a thing that young people do. It's, I don't even think it's necessarily an implication. It's pretty much stated that, like, oh, the old people, yeah. the older generations, the adults are forcing the children to do this thing that squares with the adults' beliefs, but they're making the children do it because then the children have to face the consequences. And it's the yeah. same thing with this competition is rounding up 100 young men and killing 99 of them and psychologically breaking the winner. Yeah. So I was trying to think of when we were talking about this, what is what anxieties do those scenarios speak to? Like from whence does that dystopian idea come, right? Because we talk about Yeah. Themes come from places and horror themes come from anxieties. So I'm trying to figure out what is there some sort of unifying place or or theme or tension that is why this novel is we're gonna make all these we're gonna round up all these children and find an excuse to kill them yeah and it is like it's fun it's for just, everyone yeah like they love it's to like watch. a parade there are parts where like they'll have people who are like waiting on the side of the road when they like throw out like their old tubes of concentrate or like they take a shit and like it's a souvenir and like they'll fight for it. Oh yeah and it's they say oh yeah people are gonna like scoop up my shit and put it in jars and sell it. Yeah. Like I don't know. I uh, it's very and it's like for what? For what? Like what is the purpose of this? 
why are we making all these children do these things? And I guess it's kind of speaking to like the anxiety left over from Vietnam where like a lot of that were like these 18 year olds who were dying for a senseless war and like Mm -hmm. it was the first like in the public notion like a senseless war like a lot of the major military operations before had been like it's it's world war ii like how can we not go in there like and people at the time were still kind of like i don't know if you get involved because america sucks and it's like i know they're killing all these jewish people but i don't see how that's our problem Mm-hmm. until it became our problem but still like they could still feel good about it when their kids were dying they were like we're preserving the american way and we're saving lives and my son died but he was a hero and then vietnam happened and it's like there was no fucking point in that my son's dead for no goddamn reason and, and that was like something... that first time of that happening so i guess it's it's probably definitely related to that right like, and i'm also i'm not sure to what degree? So this is something that I sort of remember reading about in like my high school history textbook. But Vietnam was maybe one of, if not the first war, where like people would come back from the war, like vets would come back, and like no one cared, or uh, like when people came home from World War Two or World War One or whatever, it was like oh like brave like and you did what was right and you had a clear yeah. we had a clear moral position and so like they were sort of lauded for that and people came back from Vietnam and they were like I don't care yeah and there were no sort of no like appreciation or support systems or any sort of feeling of oh you did like a good sacrifice like you sacrificed for something and we will recognize this upon your return so not only is it senseless to go over there and do this thing when you come back like no one really cares about you in any way different from how they cared about you before so it's very much being a cog in an uncaring system so perhaps that's what it is you don't hear anything that I remember about, like, past winners being in the public eye. Like, they can't yeah. be like, oh, remember, like, Dave Anderson from seven years ago, and now he's, like, sitting on the Senate in Texas, and, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, the way we talk about, like, other athletic competitions, where it's like, oh, like, look at him now, he's on a cereal box. Like, mm-hmm. there is even, no that's something fame, that's and present- it, in the Hunger Games is, like, there is yeah. a victor, and the victors are celebrities, they're personalities, and they go, and yes, they're also used for the dictatorship's own end, and they become, like, sex slaves or et cetera, yeah. horrible things, and, but they're still, like, they are known as victors and celebrities, and they're Yeah. And, like, venerated. that's part of the appeal, like, some of the people who are in it are like, yeah, I'm going to be famous, I'm going to make my district proud, I'm going to be the winner, and, like, they want that, and, like, here yeah, it's the really, like, districts. we really want the prize. It's not about any prestige, you just get money and whatever you want. For the rest of your life. And, but like, yeah, but... some of them want that prestige. Some who's like, I want to be in my father's house, I want to be the major son, like, that would give me the status. But you never hear about them, probably because most of them 
uh, died shortly after. You gotta imagine, even if they lived through the walk, most well, they of them don't, probably died. They don't, they don't say anything about known victors living their life after they've won, but they do say things about how few of the victors live after their victory. Yeah. Like, they and do then, make like, it clear that, yes, you might win, but you don't live long, you don't really enjoy your life. But there's no one who's known as a victor. There are no names. Yeah, and, and they're I think just sort of... They would, right? If, like, that was a thing in this world. Like, you gotta figure yeah. Barkovich would bring it up, like, Scram would probably bring it up. Like, those kinds of characters would be like, I'm gonna be the next Dave. And they're like, fuck you. You're not gonna be like Dave, or whatever. I don't, I don't know why I'm picking on Dave names. They're just great walkers, those Daves. Like, you'd think it would come up, but it's not. Like, you don't get anything. Like, you just die, either in the walk or after the walk. So unless you have a good reason, like, how Scram was like, I want my kid to go to college. And, like, it doesn't matter if he dies after. He'd prefer not to, right? Like, he'd prefer, mm-hmm. like, live and be able to see his child. He has that goal of, even if I die, I know my wife and child are going to be taken care of, and that's what I'm doing this for. The people with, like, sick family members who need care, they're like, this is about them. My life Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. It's all about, like, getting the care for this person. But then, like, the people who are just doing it because they wanted to do it, like Barkovich, who's just like, fuck you guys, I'm going to win. Or Harkness, who's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to write a book about it. How are you going to write a book if you're dead? Like, you got to win. And do you think anyone's actually going to be, like, interested in it? Yeah, nobody wants to really read about what it's actually like, right? Because they want to be able to show up for the parade and, like, make jokes and, like, sell... Have, like, they every time they pass through is having, like, a walk day sale. Yeah! It's, like, the 4th of July. Like, they don't want anything to ruin their fun. They're not going to read a book about, like, what it's actually like to be living through this because they know it's terrible. If they had a real account that was, like, personable about how awful it is, they would have to stop the walk. And also, like, you gotta think that the government wouldn't let them publish that. Yeah. I don't think so. I guess maybe if that was, like, your wish at the end. Yeah. But I think that's also why the prize can exist as whatever you want for the rest of your life, because no one lives that long, and no one really has the capacity to wish for anything meaningful after they get through this. Yeah. Yeah, like, if they do get through, the only thing they want is, like, to sit down and, like, to just have money and not have to work, because, like, they just want to have nothing happen to them for the rest of their life. That's it. That's all they ever want is, like... (laughs) silence I don't know I guess it's just it's so pointless it really is none of them have good reasons not really like some of them have okay reasons but most of them have like nothing like they're idiot because they just were like I don't know thought it'd be a thing to do Pretty much, and it's also, it's hugely popular. Don't they say that they get, like, a thousand-plus people submitting to be in the long walk? Yeah. So it's this thing where there's sort of potential glory and prestige, but it's very much a vicious... Is it a vicious cycle, even? I think it's just... 
because everyone knows it's terrible. Something that I was thinking about is it's significant to me that they don't accept people. Do they accept people who are 18 or is it only under 18? Is it 18 and under or is it under 18? Oh, well, I'm not sure. They def- they see somebody at one point and they're like, well, he's definitely over 18, so he couldn't be in here. Uh-huh. Like, Garrity's mad because, like, some guy is, like, sitting by the side of the road. He's like, fuck oh, yeah. you, like, you should be out here with us. And then he's like, that guy's clearly over 18. Like, calm down. But I don't know if it's over 18 or under 18. I mean, either way, it doesn't really matter. But I was thinking about the good old prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain, at least presuming my, like pop culture understanding of brain chemistry is correct that it's sort of where a lot of like long-term consequences and like executive function sort of understanding sits and it doesn't really fully form until around age 25 so and that's also part of like growing up and being a teenager, as we've talked about before, teenagers are kind of little shits because their brains are underdeveloped and you've gone through a huge amount of hormonal changes and whatever, but you're still yeah. not really settled and you don't have a firm understanding of other people as individuals and consequences for yourself. And also, you really don't have a firm grasp on the concept of mortality unless you've known a lot of personal tragedy because this happened to me is as I aged and as my brother died and other people around me who I knew died I realized that when you talk about young kids thinking that they're immortal it's not that you literally think you're going to live forever it's that you feel invincible because death is something that happens to old people Young people don't die. People you know don't die. That's something that happens very far apart from where you are in your life. So, of course, this competition is only open to people who don't have any of that understanding. Yeah. Because how else could they get people to sign up for it? So there's a sort of... There's a notion of competition, which I think very much appeals to sort of the masculine ideal. You know, got to be the best, got to outlast, got to be stronger than everybody, got to win. And then also it's the thing that everybody around me does and it's the big competition and it's the thing to do. And I'm special and unique, so I will be able to outlast everybody because death is something that happens to everybody else. Yeah. So it's almost, like, perfectly designed to appeal to the youths in this age group because of that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, no one else would do this, right? And, of course, it's, like, a group of young boys also, right, with that masculine idea that you mentioned where it's, like, of course I'm tougher and better than everyone else. Like, of course I could make the long walk. Um, I recently saw a tweet that talked about how, like, one in eight men think that they could beat Serena Williams oh my in God, a tennis I saw match. That. And it's like, yeah. no, of course you couldn't. She's the best tennis player. It's just, like, it's like, that idea of, like, the masculine, like, of course I could do that. And it's like, no, dude, you couldn't. Like, you're not being realistic because you don't want to admit that you might fail at something. Yeah, and you just have this perverted and... and- weak-ass lack of understanding about what you yourself are actually capable of. Like... Like, it's wild. 
it, I don't know, there's nothing wrong with, like, admitting that, like, no, I couldn't be the best tennis player alive. I couldn't score a point against her. I don't play tennis. Like, there's nothing wrong with admitting that. Yeah, and it's not... There's nothing admitting, like, I don't want to do the long walk because that's stupid and there's no point and I'll die. And, like, repeatedly they all talk about how, like, all of the women in their lives try to get them to get out of it. Like, they all want them to... There's, like, a blackout date, right? Like, they have one day in they April. Have, they have one day when they don't know if they're, like, a backup or a primary. Yeah, yeah. And then a second date if they're a primary. Yeah. Or, I guess, once they know. So, like, Garrity could have dropped out in April. And he didn't. Like, every his girlfriend was even like, we didn't have sex as much as you want. Oh, yeah. If you'll just drop out. Which, and he was like, that makes me feel weird. I was like, that makes you feel weird? <laughs> Which, like, uh, I don't know. Seems like a good bet. <laughs> She's trying her best, and, like, his mom was unhappy, but also she was kind of blinded by, like, we could have anything we want. Oh, yeah. Kind of thing. But, like, all the women in their lives try to convince them not to do it. So I think it has to be young boys, right? And also I think that, mm-hmm. in general, in society, like, because we think of women as, like, weaker and need to be protected, like, watching a bunch of young women drop dead would have a different effect than young men. Absolutely. It'd be harder to watch young women get murdered. And I think it's also easier, if we're talking about, like, general cultural attitudes, for men to, like, for, or for boys to be told by their mothers and girlfriends and whatever, you can't do this, it's a bad idea. And then for them to shove that away and be like, oh, my girlfriend or my mom is so emotional and I'm rational and they don't understand and they're just worrying over nothing. But I, the cool, calm, collected, rational man, you're a child, but man, (laughs) know that I can do this thing. And it's just like, It's like, um, there's one boy, Percy, whose mom keeps showing up and, like, screaming for him and, like, trying to get on the tracks, and she keeps being, like, escorted away by the police, and they're all like, what a crazy mom, and it's like, that's reasonable, that's her child, who's gonna fucking die. Exactly, and everyone is dying around you. Of course it's reasonable for this mother to be upset that her child, her baby, is gonna die walking this stupid road. Like, I don't know. So, yeah, it has to be teenage boys because they don't understand the consequences. They're hyper-masculine, and it's easier to stomach watching them get shot. Because, like, people mm-hmm. want to see people get shot. Yeah. Like, Garrity talks about how, like, when his dad took him to a walk, he was disappointed that he didn't see anyone get ticketed. Like, they want to watch someone die. I also remember the first time that I read this... They say ticketed until someone, or buy a ticket until someone actually buys a ticket. And then you find out, like, and if you read this later, it's, like, pretty obvious what ticketed means. But you're not really sure. And then it's, like, so-and-so buys a ticket and they get shot. And you're, like, oh, it's so much worse than I thought. It's, like, um, it's very, because there's, like, warnings and then there's tickets, which are, like, they mirror what we have in real life. Like, if you get pulled over, you might get a warning. And then if you get pulled over exactly. again, you get a ticket. You and get like, a ticket. That's the normal thing. And a ticket just means, like, you're out or something. Like, you can't drive anymore, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. They don't kill you for running too many red lights. But yeah. they just shoot you dead here. 
I did just get to the page where, like, McBride is like, would you let me jerk you off? And he basically, Gertie's like, what the fuck? And he's basically like, don't be a coward. Let's oh, yeah, be he's gay. Like, don't make it weird. He's like, oh, okay, big man trying to pretend he's not having gay thoughts. Fuck you. <laughs> be a realistic. Be gay. To quote Ben Wyatt, who hasn't had gay thoughts? Uh. Yeah, that actually, that part is deeply hilarious. He's like, oh, all right. Like, you were thinking it too. Like, come on. Also, like, the idea that, like, oh, he didn't want it, but, like, he did save his life. I'm like, Men have this weird idea that, like, they're doing us a favor by letting them touch their penises. Oh my god, it's so weird. Which is never true. Like, whether it's a man or a woman or anything, like, it's not, like, a joy to jerk you off. It's, it's not, so like, weird. you doing me a favor, okay, Garrity? Like... Also, I... It's very funny because it's it's so, like... Oh, I'm totally joking, unless... You're into it, in which case I'm completely serious. Because he says, like, he's not such a bad guy. Maybe he's even half right. Maybe that's why I saved your ass. Maybe I'm queer for you. With a face like mine, I thought you perverts like the willowy type. Still, he was suddenly uneasy. Suddenly, shockingly, McVeigh said, would you let me jerk you off? What the hell? Oh, shut up, McVries said crossly. Where do you get off with all this self-righteous shit? I'm not even going to make it any easier by letting you know if I'm joking. <laughs> What'd you say? Fuck you. And he's like, I do want my dick touched. I and am I, so horny all the time. I guess sexuality doesn't matter we're all died. It's also like, well, I suppose you did save my life. I'm supposed to feel like a heel because you owe me something and I'm taking advantage. Is that it? Do what you want. It's like, dude, it's but not, quit like, playing a games. Like, no Does one... that mean yes? Whatever you want. Whatever you goddamn want. It's just, like... It's so weird. You're so funny, Ray. That <laughs> just, like, walks away. <laughs> it's just, like, what? It's wild. Um, it's off top. I just ran into that page, and I was like, I forgot how he was, like... Don't play gays with me. Do you want to be gay or not? <laughs> it's so uh, funny. Alright, what else do we have to talk about with this disaster? Bro, what if we tenderly kissed on the long walk and we were both guys? <laughs> How would you even maintain a four mile per hour speed while drinking someone off? Certainly with, you couldn't also be doing anything, right? You with would be, great difficulty. You would need all of your concentration on, on walking. Like, it couldn't be, like, a... I think you'd get, like, one more Simultaneous thing. I oh, guess no. it depends on how fired up he is beforehand. It's true. We all know he's constantly horny. To, yeah, this is a teenage boy who has gone at least, like, two days without jerking off, so... Mm-hmm. Probably all you'd have to do is, like, a light pat. <laughs> that's all it would take. Also, honestly, that's something pat that on seems the head. unrealistic to me. Does no one at any point during this jerk off? I'm sure people jerk off during this. Facing death, just, like, being traumatized. We don't see it, but I'm sure people are definitely jerking it. I guess. Do you remember the part where... Cinema sins the long walk. At no point does anyone <laughs> jerk off and the narrative pays attention. There's one point where... Ding. I can't remember who it is. 
but someone's like, do you like having enemas? And they were like, no. Oh my God, and he was that. like, my little brother does. And it's like... It's so... Oh, it's Pearson. Um, and he's I like, have an enema? He's like, no, also, I don't think so. And like, Harkness no, like... No, I don't yeah, think so. Yeah, I had one once. And he was like, did you like it? No, of course I didn't, Ed. Who would like that? Oh my, my little brother, Pearson said sadly. I, I asked, asked the little snot if he was sorry I was going, and he said no, because Ma said he could have an enema if he was good and didn't cry. He loves him. That's sickening, Harkness said loudly. Pearson looks glum. I thought so, too. <laughs> like, just in the middle of this fucking, like, death walk. He's like, hey guys, do you think my little brother has a problem? Let's talk it out. Do you think this is okay? Is this something that people are just into and I just didn't realize? And everyone was like, no. No Listen, one likes getting soap shot up their butt. It's a dystopian hellscape. Everyone's gonna just die. Like, yeah, I thought Jerk your friend was off, weird. have an enema, who fucking cares? I just, like, love that, like, he just started this fucking death walk, and he's still, like, do you think my little brother is weird? Should I be worried about this? Yeah, that's the thing, too, is it's not even like they're talking about siblings or being sad or whatever. Yeah, it's he just out of nowhere. Up. Have you had an enema? Did bros you like being it? Bros. Because my little brother does. Asking about enemas. You know how your bros will act suddenly out of nowhere and ask you about enemas? <sighs> Talking about not being scared to be gay, okay? Come on. Pearson's little brother is an icon. It is like the most horror is just like watching other people die. Like, yes, that's very true. Yeah, there are long, like, philosophical conversations about, like, the nature of death and how they'll all die. But. Not nearly as tiresome as Glenn Bateman, thank God. God, I know. But, like, most of the horror is, like, oh, God, I'm watching this person I didn't like, but I'm watching them die. Hell of a way to learn empathy. Yeah. And, like, it goes from, like, oh, when I was younger, I was sad that when I went to a walk, we didn't see anyone get ticketed. And then now it's, like, I have watched my comrades die. There is no point for me. What is the point of winning? <laughs> I'm gonna fucking run away. I don't know. Do you want to talk about the ending? Is there anything I don't know. to say about it? It's a huge bummer. It's a little bit but it's definitely... of an edgelord ending for me, honestly. Yeah. I'm like, alright. Calm down. There's one part towards the end where he's like, just, like, his brain is just playing jazz music. Can you imagine <laughs> how fucking chaotic that must be? Oh Garrett's head seemed to be playing jazz. <laughs> it seemed that he had once been loved. Once he himself had loved. But now it was just jazz. Also? <laughs> like, he's just, like, playing. Can you imagine how fucking hectic? Everyone's died. This is right before Baker so, dies, so there's only, like, four of them left. And he's just constantly playing jazz music on a loop in his head. They're in Massachusetts. They walk so much. Oh, God. Such chaos. Jazz makes me anxious on, like, a normal day. Fair. I really can't handle it. 
Free jazz. Free jazz. Uh, no. None. My brain was you. like, let's lock jazz up. Don't free it. Put it away. No. I'm done with it. Put but it like, he's going in insane. A lead-lined coffin like Baker wants. Oh, I love the the sentence where like Stebbins dies and it's Garrity lost interest. He got up and began to walk. Like the the sentence, like he lost interest. Like he went from, oh, I'm bummed out. I didn't get to see someone die. To death is horrible and I cannot watch another one of my friends die. To, eh, it's just another dead body. But it's also it's just like, another dead body. I gotta catch that mysterious figure up ahead. <laughs> gotta get there. Who's the figure? Who is, is it? Is it his own sanity? It's projected out. <laughs> I don't know if it's just because I've read things like this before, but it felt a little bit like Edgelord, I'm 12 and this is a deep yeah. situation. It's a bummer. But I do think it's, it's the figures. ending that fits. Like, it should, it's a Baca book, right? So it's just gonna end and be like a bummer and you're supposed to think about how terrible humanity really is mm-hmm. that's that's every like botan book is just like humans are terrible but don't you kind of get it i don't know like drawing you in and if it is something connected to like vietnam then i get it right like i think that's very it's compelling just... i think that would be a great Excuse way of looking at like sorry <laughs> My windows are wide open. Um, if it is supposed to, like, kind of understand, like, how the soldiers coming back from Vietnam are supposed to feel and, like, why they might be, you know, kind of mad afterwards, then I think it's very effective, right? I think it's a very effective yeah. way of being, like, look at the trauma we put children through. Can't you see that they're fucked up about it for the rest of their lives? And isn't that horrible? But also mm-hmm. it's, like... I have questions. Answer them. What's squatting? Like, why? What's happening? How are people okay with their children doing this? In a world where, like, a lot of people also have family members who have died because of the government, right? Like, they talk about Mm -hmm. it at one point, and, like, almost all of them have someone that's, like, been squatted or, like, that got lost to some disease or something like that. So, like, this is already a world where a lot of people are losing their family members. And then they're like, also, we're going to take applications to murder a bunch of your sons. You're good with that, right? I think it, I mean, I think it's just, like, I don't know. It's very, yeah, it's very much, this is a novel of, Accepting the dull horror of life in a miserable dystopia. And other dystopian fiction that came before and after has a focus on... And even, like, so like 1984, everything is horrible, dictatorship, and someone tries to fight the system, and in the end they fail. But there's at least an attempt, and in the end they're crushed. And what is it? O'Brien says, picture a human, a boot stamping on a human face forever. And that's kind of 
But the thing about that is like that the boot can never stop stepping. <laughs> like the boot always has to try and keep people down and people will always try and rise up. And that struggle, in my mind, like that struggle is worthwhile and important, but there's just nothing about that here. It's just everything is hopeless and terrible and everyone just puts up with it. And yeah. in the end it's doomed to fail. And it's just very, it's so bleak, but it's also like mayonnaise. Yeah, it is very like... Like, does that make sense? <laughs> Deep for 1979. Yeah. You know, like, I guess in the current world, like, we could not. But also still in 1979, like, the world had been through so much. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. This is real life. Like, things this horrible are happening in real life. Who cares, Steven? I guess he did start writing in the 60s. In the 60s, this would have been, like, woke. Yeah. Cutting edge. Like, the 60s was, like, a wild time where everyone kind of forgot that the government was bad. And then the 70s happened and they were like, oh, right, oh my god. Everything is garbage. I took my eyes off the government for one decade. And now no one has liberties. <laughs> we're going to war, except we're not going to declare it a war, so no one's going to get the benefits they deserve. Anyway, yeah. it's fine. 2019. I guess I don't need to still have like feelings about Vietnam, but I do. I it was don't. terrible. You can have as many feelings as you like. Hot take: Vietnam was bad. Spicy I, hot take. I know many of you will argue, but <laughs> yeah, that's all I got. Vietnam was bad, and so is this walk. All right, and this book, arguably, it's not. It's not actually bad. It's not. Great. I do think, in terms of, like, recommending, I think if you are a big Stephen King fan, if you can find them, I do think it's worthwhile to read the Bachman books. You won't be able to find mm -hmm. all of them. You but won't I be do able to think, find Rage, like, but yeah. you should be able to find all the other ones. But if you are a big Stephen King fan, I do think it's really interesting to see the differences between Bachman books and King books. Um, and, like, the kinds of... Because there is a difference in, like, the types of stories... And I do think this one was very interesting. I do think so. Yeah. It was a worthwhile read. Uh, I wouldn't bring it on vacation with me again. Really? You know? Maybe not. Um, but, like, I would read it if you're, like, a big Stephen King fan. If you're a casual Stephen King fan, I think you could give it a miss. Yeah. Which but if there's you're nothing wrong with being a casual yeah. fan. I would say, yeah, if you're a big one or if you're just interested enough in seeing what Bachman books are like, this is a good yeah. example. Right. I don't got any bingo on this one. I have yeah, I don't either. five things ticked off. I, but I it's a Bachman. It's, it's, yeah, not, a it's not a King book. So that makes sense. So Breaking it is. With the formula. It is difficult. We will not have many bingos, I don't think, in any of the Bachman books. No, maybe we should make a Bachman bingo. Ooh, maybe. It'd be interesting. Do you have any other recommendations? It's difficult for me to try and come up with a recommendation because I want to come up with a recommendation. I can't think of anything that's, like, tonally similar because I can think of plenty of dystopian things. 
probably like if you want a more heavy read and if you haven't read it yet i would say 1984 is a worthwhile time um although that book also hates women it does similarly i think great new world is a great dystopian tale also yeah hates women the classics they all hate women and also other races yeah, if you want to read, if you want an easier read that is dystopian and interesting and hopeful. Yeah. And it's easy, breezy, beautiful, The Giver. Um, <laughs> easy, breezy, beautiful. That's The Giver. <laughs> oh, God bless. It. The Giver Listen, was really good. It was. And it's, it's really good. And this is something that I come back to is like. I think it is a classic of dystopian fiction and it's written for young audiences. So my town, I don't know if they still do it, but they used to do like a town book club book. It's a very easy read because it is written for younger readers, but it's also really well done. I really love it. It engages with some pretty sophisticated ideas, and I'm very much on board with its portrait of the world. So if you haven't read The Giver, I would really recommend it. Um, yeah. I love that book. It's a really good one. Um, I think those are, like, the actual good ones. If you want a not-good recommendation that's, like, it's a dystopia and young boys are having to do what now? Uh, the Maze Runner series. Oh. I haven't read the books, which I have heard are better than the movie series. Not I have, hard. I've been watching the movie series, uh, well, not sober. And it's a very funny movie series. I was going to say, how it's funny hilarious. is it? I didn't realize um, that they actually were running mazes. Like, the title is literal. Like, I thought it was, like, like an in-universe like symbol or something. Like, no, they literally just running. And the reason is because they're immune to the disease that the whole world has. And they're trying to, like, get it out of their, like, sweat. But they have to be in a stressed-out environment. Like, that's the best way to get whatever they need to try to find a cure. Is to, like, traumatize teenage boys and make them run a bunch. And, like, monitor them. It's so stupid. But it's very similar to this where it's like, wait, they're doing what now? So... Next, we are going to be doing The Dead Zone. Doing The Dead Zone. Which is going to be exciting. Which I don't it's think... widely considered the best. Or one of the best. I don't think it's my best, but... Ooh. I was going to say. It very, very highly received. Oh. It was made into an American horror thriller film directed by David Cronenberg. Yes. And it has Christopher Walken in it. Yes, it does. It's actually, it's good. Pretty good goddamn. It's a pretty good film adaptation. So definitely join in for that one. Yes, it's going to be a good time. Lots of spoops. That'd be great. Um, where spooky goose can they find us, Margo? Oh, they can they find so us. They so wish. Oh, let me see if I can remember all of the things I have to say. I think I put them in my notes. There I'm going to rate you out of ten. So, smart. All right. 
You can follow us on Twitter at listen underscore Stephen. You can email us to our Gmail, uh, listenstephenpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash listenstephen. You can follow me on Twitter at whattofoxtrot, W-H-A-T-T-E-H-F-O-X-T-R-O-T. Uh, thank you to Lena Orsa for our intro and outro music. And also, if you liked the show, please, please consider rating us and also leaving a review on iTunes. Great way to grow the show, helps people find us, helps us maybe get a sponsor so Quip will give Lily money for saying that your dentist <laughs> recommended them. All of that stuff. It's all true. It's all you true. heard it here How'd first. It's great. I'm going to say a nice. solid 9.5. 9.5. All right. Room for improvement, but yeah. pretty good. Gotta want okay. more. Gotta want that last point five. Yeah. All right. Not me. I'm always like, well, that was good. And I'm done. <laughs> no need to grow. <laughs> All, right. All right. Anyway. Stay, uh, stay spoopy. Yeah, stay spoopy. We'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>